Hello, What the Deal Happened podcast listeners. We are so glad to have you back with us this week. We are picking up our conversation from last week right where we left off. So we're covering the preventative surgeries that Jen had to, after she was, uh, after the Tested positive. After she tested positive for the BRCA mutation. Thank you. Can't seem to wrap my head around that. Um, so she, you had the mastectomy, and we talked about that last week, and you had the implants put in. Yes. So we did both of those in October of 2013 and took a little hiatus for um, after recovering from that. And then uh, right after the new year started planning for the hysterectomy and oophorectomy. So please tell us what is a hysterectomy and what is an oophorectomy? Okay. So hysterectomy is when they take out your female parts that you are no longer using that are at risk of developing cancer. And an oophorectomy is basically taking your ovaries out and they do that at the same time. So the hysterectomy, is that removing the uterus? You, that is a, option. And I did part, I did that as well. Yes. So ovaries, uterus, and some other stuff. And we don't even know what they are. I guess maybe we should research that. (laughs) And I mean, you just were going through so much and I don't know. I think, I think you did research it, but I, but I think that now you're going through chemo and so much has happened. everybody. I'm Jen. And I'm Mindy. And welcome to What the Teal Happened. Okay, so a hysterectomy and oophorectomy, we removed uterus, cervix, fallopian tubes, and ovaries. Were those surgeries at the same time or did they take place over a few days? Yes, that was all done at the same time on the same day. Now, we talked last week about the recovery from the double mastectomy. How did the recovery go for these, this surgery? So initially, um, I was way more comfortable when I woke up from the double mastectomy. I was on some really, I had an epidural and it was amazing. I felt like a concrete brick and it just felt really good to be, feel like a concrete brick for some reason. It's just very relaxing, very heavy, like I just sunk down in the bed and I just felt really good. This time they wanted me to get up and using the bathroom and walking as soon as possible. So there was no epidural. There was very little pain meds. Um, And right out of surgery, they wanted me to stand up and I was pretty miserable and grumpy and um, really wanted to bite somebody's head off. But um, after I got up and walked around, I felt much better. The recovery was actually a lot easier than the other surgery, which was strange because the other surgery, the double mastectomy, they told me I needed a week to 10 days off work. And this one, they made me take a whole month off. And at my 14 day checkup, I actually asked the doctor if I could be released to go back to work because I felt fine. And he said no (laughs) and made me take a month off, which was fine. But I felt like I was ready to go back to work early. So with the double mastectomy, Afterwards, you woke up feeling like a brick and it felt really good and relaxing. But after the hysterectomy and oophorectomy, you had to get up, you had to move around and that was hard, but then it made you feel better. Do you think that after the mastectomy, you know, your brain just got to be turned off 
from all these things that you have been going through. And then with the hysterectomy and oophorectomy, your brain was probably going. Yeah. And it put me into um, like immediate menopause as well, which is different than standard menopause because I'm assuming when a a woman goes through standard menopause, it's a gradual process. And with this surgery, it was literally like they said within the first couple days, you're going to start feeling emotional. You're going to start having hot flashes. Um, And I started uh, HRT immediately the day after surgery to try to um, head off those symptoms. So I don't know if that had something to do with it, but I was definitely, I definitely feel, remember feeling (laughs) miserable and, and pushed to, to get up and get around and, you know, when you're told to do something, when you're made to do something, you never want to do it. So I guess that was my attitude. Can you tell us, please, what HRT is? Hormone replacement therapy. And there are several, several, several different kinds of hormone replacement therapy. I was on a Premarin pill and I was on a tapering dose. So I started at um, the highest dose they allow me to have. And then every year, I tapered down until the last year was like um, half a milligram or something. Um, I actually got pulled off it after year four because that's when I was diagnosed. Why did they start you off on the highest dose of hormone replacement therapy? I mean, it wasn't the highest dose available. It was just the highest dose that they were allowing me at the time. Um, I guess to combat the the menopausal symptoms that were, were going to hit hard. And then they only wanted me to be on it for five years because it did carry its own cancer risk. Um, and we talked at length about that, that the risk was so low of developing cancer from the HRT, but the side effects from the menopause were almost guaranteed. And I was fairly young. I was 40, 40 when I had the hysterectomy and oophorectomy. So I was forced into surgical menopause at 40. Um, and, you know, besides aging really quick, which nobody, no woman wants to age really quick, your bones can have some problems, osteoporosis, a lot of things like that. Yeah, yeah it's a big impact on your body. Hormones play a really big role in our body's chemistry. You said that you talked at length about what could happen with the hormone replacement therapy. Who were you talking to? So who's your medical team at this point? It's, it's not the breast surgeon. Who is it? So I went to, and I'm kind of all over the place. So I went to my regular gynecologist that I see every year after I had the double mastectomy and said, I'm ready to start looking into the hysterectomy and oophorectomy. And I'm here for a referral to a gynecological oncologist. And she said, I can't do that surgery. And I was, I didn't say this, but I kind of thought in my head, well, I'm not asking you to. I'm here for a referral. And so I said, well, I understand that. And I'm here for a referral to a gynecological oncologist. And so she gave me the referral, but she also wasn't, she just it was just a very weird meeting. She said, well, then you don't need anything else from me. So she took me back out front, gave me my copay back because I guess there was nothing medical taking place because she didn't need to do an exam if she was referring me to someone to, that was going to do an exam anyways. And, um, and I took all my files and everything to the gynecological oncologist. 
So it was very strange. She didn't really counsel me at all um, about the genetic mutation and whether I should or shouldn't have the preventive surgeries. She just said, I can't do that. And I said, yes, I know. That's why I'm here for a referral. In the past, when you'd seen her for your yearly checkup, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, had she counseled you through things and just talked to you about, you know, how you're doing as you're going through life and your body is changing, that sort of thing? Yeah, she was very thorough. Um, I had to have a few procedures done through her office and she was very thorough and very informational. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what that was about. Um, again, it was. 2014, the whole Angelina Jolie thing had just come out. Um, The Annie Parker movie had just come out, which was a story about how one of the first women that um, tested positive for the genetic mutation and she had breast cancer. So it was in the media a lot. So I don't know if she was thinking that I was just being dramatic or that she hadn't had a lot of people asking for the preventive surgeries. I'm not really sure what her thinking was, but she was just kind of quick to say, yeah, I don't do that and send me to someone that did. And and not offer any counseling or information. And maybe she didn't have it. It was, you know, again, the genetic mutation itself was found in 94, I believe, but it wasn't really linked to cancer until 99 or early 2000. And still very new. And it, it, unfortunately, 2019, it's still very new. I, you know, back when I was going to see all these doctors, I used to tell my mom that if you ask 10 different doctors, the same BRCA related question, you're going to get 10 different answers. And I don't know if it's still like that today. I don't know if people that are going through that today are finding that, but it was just a very uncertain time. And it, it was hard to find somebody that really felt confident in their knowledge. So you got the referral to the gynecological oncologist and you went in and how did that go? You know, that first meeting went very similar to the meet first meeting with the, the plastic surgeon where he said, I usually see people fighting cancer. I usually don't do preventive surgeries. And I didn't take that as, hey, I'm in, inexperienced and I don't know what I'm doing because I think the surgery is the surgery, whether you have cancer or whether you don't, you're doing the same procedure. So I didn't take it like that. I just took it like I should be really, really grateful for them spending time with me because I don't have cancer. And I remember telling him, yes, I know that and I don't want to get it. So that's why I'm here. And I think after that initial meeting with both of them, when they when they realized that I really want to do this, I really want to go through with this, I am very scared about getting cancer. I don't I feel like I've been given a gift of this um, positive test that other people don't have. I, mean, I truly believe there's genetic mutations, um, like probably everybody has one, and they just haven't isolated yet and found it. So I felt really lucky that I was getting this opportunity to do these preventive things. And once I got the doctors on board, I think we were good. But I think that initial meeting, they were just like, hey, I usually see cancer people. And I was like, yeah, I get that. And I don't want to be a cancer person. That makes sense. How long was it after you met with the gynecological oncologist that you had the surgeries? So I met with him in January and then I met with him again in February. Um, And then we scheduled the surgery for my track out in April. And I met with him again in March. So 
we had several, several meetings. And by the time, you know, March came around, we were doing the preoperative meetings. I felt really confident. Um, he came very highly recommended. Everybody in the cancer community, when I say, hey, this is my doctor, they're like, oh, he's brilliant. He's amazing. And so I felt really confident with it. <coughs> um, doctors don't always have the best bedside manner. Um, and I'm not saying his bedside manner wasn't good. It, I was just, I'm a patient and I wasn't his top priority because I didn't have cancer. I was a preventive measure, which I knew that I accepted that and I was okay with that. Um, and I think as I kept going to see him, he, so our relationship just evolved and we understood each other. He knew what I was there for. I knew he was you know, there to treat cancer people. And I was lucky to not be one of them and lucky that he was willing to spend his time on me. Yeah. And you'd done your research and he knew that. So I thought, um, I will go into real quick. Um, the night before I had surgery, I was still researching. I really need to like, someone needs to take my tap, my, my tablet and my laptop away from me sometimes. I was researching the night before surgery and I read an article that was just released about how sometimes this primary peritoneal cancer that I ended up with uh, starts in your appendix. And I was drugged up and being rolled into surgery and I said, hey, is there any way while you're in there you can take my appendix out? And they stopped rolling me down the hall and said, are you serious? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I mean, come on, you're going in there. And I read it last night and blah, blah, blah. And they humored me and they said, we'll talk to Dr. Sofer and let you know. And, you know, more drugged up I become. And they come in and they said, he said, no, that's not possible. And I kind of knew that answer. But I wanted them to know that, hey, I'm on top of my stuff. I know what I'm talking about. I've read everything way too much. And, you know, I mean, gosh, how does that start in your appendix? And I still have my appendix. So did it start in my appendix? Maybe it did start in your appendix. Would you like me to get a kitchen knife and remove Please. it right now? Let's do, do this. All right. Yeah, we'll be back after a short <laughs> appendix <laughs> removal <laughs> break. So you're all recovered now and you're ready to move forward with your life. Now, typically when a woman tests positive for a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, she'll have yearly screenings for cancer. Is that correct? So it depends. If you choose surveillance, then your screenings definitely um, are six, every six months instead of yearly like normal. But since I chose preventive surgery route, the screenings were kind of non-existent. Um, so when I had obviously mammograms and unless there's a, a certain amount of breast tissue left behind, you don't need a mammogram. So I was not recommended to have mammograms cause they took most of the breast tissue out. So I didn't have those. Um, and you had implants at this I point. Did. So I went direct to implant, which those implants are now on the recall list, which is kind of like just my luck sometimes. Um, and my sister's were as well. She just had hers replaced about a week and a half ago and is doing well. My doctor is of course like, nope, we are not going down that road unless we have to. And I show no signs of 
the illness that is being caused by the recall, the recalled implants, the, I don't even know what it's called, some sort of breast implant illness. Um, I'm not showing any signs of that, or am I, because I have cancer. Who knows, do we even know if I'm showing signs of that? So anyways, they're not going anywhere. So because the doctors don't want to cause any further trauma to your body right, right. now, there's risk of infection after surgery, right. that kind of thing. Be in the hospital, could get pneumonia, all infection, all kinds of things. And I'd probably have to stop chemo because I don't see how I could do all that. So we're not going <laughs> to, she basically said, we're not going to go looking for problems. So unless there is something that's bothering me, we're not going to go poking around looking at it. So there are no mammograms. So what kind of screening do you have to make sure that you, you don't get cancer? And at this point, is there even any concern that you're going to get cancer? Or are you, you're done, you're at 0%, nothing's going to happen? Well, I wasn't quite at 0%, but my breast surgeon had said, I've got you down to less than 1%, and that's the best I can do. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's perfect. Thanks. I'll take it. I'll take it. And then the uh, gynecological oncologist said the same. He said, you know, we've got you down to less than 1%. So I don't need to see you anymore. He said, and you don't need to go to a gynecological or a gynecologist anymore. Your primary care physician can handle everything. So it was, you know, regular breast self-exams, physical exam every year, regular blood work, all that kind of stuff. Um, there were no CA-125 tests anymore because I was told I didn't need them. Um, it's fuzzy right now if I was told I didn't need them or if the insurance company said I didn't need them. Um, I was told that even if I would have asked for them, insurance wouldn't have paid for them, but there was no inclination for me to ask for them because I was under the impression that I didn't need them anymore because I didn't it wouldn't mean anything because I had everything removed. Now, in 2019, we know that that is needed. You still need to have a C125 after all these surgeries. And I'm hoping that people don't aren't having a, a problem getting those because they need them. And the one of one of the gynecological oncologists I see, I go to her for a second opinion through Duke and I love her. Um, I talked to her a lot about my kids and whether or not they, when they need to be tested and stuff. And she said, my children will never be questioned on whether they should have a CA-125 test, whether they go through all the preventive surgeries or none. So that's really good to know. And at this point, you, you had never even heard of primary peritoneal cancer. So <clears throat> it was a risk of, um, it was a risk with the BRCA1 mutation after all the surgeries and having the HRT, there was less than a 1% risk of getting it. And he did make, make me aware of it, but it was kind of like the fine print that he was reading. You know, it's kind of like the fine print on every, anything. I mean, you drive a car, you could die, but you're probably not gonna. So he did mention it, but it was in, so, it was such a small risk that I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so you didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> Okay, so that, yeah, yeah, way to go, girl. And there, you know, there we go back into your luck of like, what you know, the, the implants are recalled, and just sometimes your luck is. I really should. I don't know. Does that mean I should play the lottery, or does that mean I should not play the lottery? I mean, you can't 
lose more money, right? Yeah, you can by buying tickets. Well, that's what, but like once you invest the $20 or however much lottery oh, tickets, know. buck, is it 20? I don't know. I mean, to go to Sheets and check it out. Yeah, for real. Um, I don't know if you should play the lottery or not. You do you. Do you want lottery tickets for Christmas? Sure. Okay. Our only winning ones. Only winning. <laughs> <laughs> so check them before you give them to me, please. We'll All right, everyone. So I just removed Jen's appendix. Just did a little um, appendectomy here. I feel great. It's amazing. <laughs> the cancer is gone. The cancer is gone. Um, all right. So you, you went, you, you, we were talking about you were on the bed, you were being rolled back, all the drugs, and then you go into surgery. You come out of surgery. And this is, you mentioned that all this was happening over your track out. So track out is uh, for students and teachers that work at year round schools. Instead of getting a whole summer off, they get three weeks off, typically three weeks. Every nine weeks, they're, they go to school for nine weeks and then take about three weeks off. It varies a little bit. but So you had your surgeries over the track out, which gave you recovery time. How did recovery go? It went really well. Um, the first week, I was sore and kind of, you know, just gently walking around the house, not loving the stairs, that kind of thing. Um, the second week I felt much better at, again, day 14, I went for a checkup and told them that I was definitely ready to go back to work. And they said, Nope, you need 30 days. So I was grateful for that. Um, and I'm assuming now that I look back on it, you know, they did a lot of internal stuff there and you can't see those, those incisions and those stitches and those scars and stuff. So I guess they had to be sure that I was a hundred percent good before I went back to work. Um, so I took 30 days and felt like I didn't need it, but was grateful for the 30 days. And when I went back to work, I felt pretty much as good as new, ready to go. Excellent. Now, when you had this surgery, you weren't living with your long-term boyfriend, Dave, you were, you were living at your own apartment, uh, sorry, your own rental house with the girls who helped you during your recovery process. So that the first time the double mastectomy, my mom came and stayed a week. The second time, I think they stayed a couple days. My parents stayed a few days because I expected it to be an easier surgery um, just from reading what other people's experiences was. It was just a, a little bit easier. So I, I was, it was... Um, it was an easy surgery. So my mom stayed a few days and the first couple days I was home, she, well, before I was home and then she left and she was giving me all this advice before she left. And she was like, okay, so do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And don't forget, Dr. Gray said to stay on top of the pain medication. Take it even if you don't feel like you need it. And I was like, yes, mom, I know. Uh, wait a minute. I didn't have a Dr. Gray. And she says, Meredith, Jennifer, Meredith says. And I was like, what? Who is Mary? Ha ha ha. Grey's Anatomy. Got it. Your mom was referencing Grey's Anatomy. Now, I've read Shonda Rhimes' book. She she writes Grey's Anatomy and she does a lot of research. Yeah. She's really got well, it down. So are. maybe apparently she thinks I should stay on top of my medication, just like my mom thinks I can just call Angie and be like, hey, girl. You know, Dr. Gray also thinks giving me advice. too. We love you, Shonda.
You have been listening to What the Teal Happened podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Please email us with questions, comments, suggestions for topics that you would like for us to cover or things you'd like to know more about. You can reach us at whatthetealhappened at gmail.com. That's whatthetealhappened. There are no spaces in that, no question mark. And that's at gmail.com. You can follow Jen at Teal Tweetin on Twitter. Okay, so hysterectory and hysterectory. <laughs> okay, so now we'll start.